figure, she stops playing with all the other boys. And as she gets ready to squirt and to blast, she'll squeal with pleasure and fluids will spill. As she listens to the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast with my dudes Will the Thrill and Joe Static. And now, Will the Thrill and Joe Static and the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. As you heard from the great Joel Gertner, I'm your host, Will the Thrill. And I am your co-host, Joe Static. Joe, what happened to Terry Funk? Have you talked to him uh, since uh, two weeks ago or whatever it's going to be now? I haven't heard from him. Um, he like shit all over the floor. He peed all over himself. Um, so, you know how that goes. So, I don't know if he's embarrassed or... Yeah, but I haven't heard from him since. I think he'll be, you know, he's a, he's a regular here at the Squared Circle Action Figure Pass. I'm sure we'll be hearing from him in a couple of weeks. It's just hit or miss, you know. It's very random when he shows up. It is very random when he shows up, you know. And I, I know when you have guests over, you don't want to have them stay there that long because that's what tends to happen. They shit all over your floor. Yeah, he gets way too drunk. He starts, you know, picking a fight after I tell him not to do that every time. Speaking of Terry Funk, I did hear from really quickly Tommy Dreamer this week on Busted Open. He wants to get him on the radio. Imagine that would be a fun conversation, you know, like in a real conversation with Terry, you know? That that would be interesting. Yeah, I think I, I listened to that too on Busted Open. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he did like the shoot. He opened my eyes to a lot of, a lot of things, you know, as far as safety and looking out for your opponent and all that. You know, he, he's seeing a lot of things, I guess, we don't see, you know? People can get hurt very easy. Yeah, very easy. Uh, yeah, I just love how they focus on that. And I would love to hear Terry. I mean, oh, my God. Oh, my I don't God. Think, to have him on the radio, no holes barred. Whew. The hardcore legend. Oh, it would be amazing. Let's just put it that way. If I could walk into work one day and hear that man's voice on the radio. He's like, well, what would you do if you heard that? <laughs> what would you do if you funk heard the- you? What would you do if Terry uh, started calling you out and busted open? I'd be like, "Funk you!" <laughs> you got to challenge. You got to challenge him to a spinning toe. I, I do. I do. I have to challenge him. Ugh. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Oh God! The Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast has. Many shirts available for sale, so go buy them now on ProWrestlingTees.com slash SQDCircleAFP. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SQDCircleAFP. So, Joe, we have a very special episode this week. We got Mr. Sean NG, KWK collector in the house on the gorilla position. He's taking it over. We're going to be talking prototypes. Nice. But before we get into that... We have to get to informing our listeners, Joe, a little bit about what's happening with the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. We're going to be changing our format up, but next week, we have a special episode again for you all. What are we going to be doing next week, Joe? Next week, we are closing the season, if you will, out with, oh my God, figure of the week, the last retro edition. We'll put it that way. For the re- remainder of the year, we will be doing 2020 figures only. Uh, best of the best, what we think to close out the year. 
And then at the end of the year, at the end of this season, we will be discussing the top 10 figures of 2020. After that, we will be doing You'll Never Forget the Name one last time for now. And to close it out, we will be doing Bust It Open one more time. One more time. And next week, guys and gals and listeners and everybody out there on the webs, you got to check it next week because the actual figures we're reviewing are going to be pretty awesome, Joe. I think this is a this is stacked lineup, bro. The three in a row that we're doing are bangers, man. Let's just put it that way. Bangers, man. And the figures that we'll be talking about will go a little more in depth. Again, it's a special episode. It's going to be the last of these segments, basically, as Joe said. And then we go into week 15 of the year where we're going to have some different segments. Some are coming back. So we'll have the gorilla position. We'll have the Oh My God figure of the week 2020. As Joe has said in the past, we're going to only be focusing on figures that were released in 2020. And then we'll do our top 10 figures of 2020 as we move towards the end of the year. Aside from that, we're going to have a couple new segments as well, Joe. Tell our listeners a little bit about those new ones. Yeah, well, so some of the new segments we will be adding into the show are questions of the week in a segment called What? 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 Where we each ask each other a question for the week. Could be related to anything, mainly wrestling figures, but if you want to go a little off the grid, that's okay too. New segment is called The Missing Link. That is fantasy picks of figures we have not yet received in our collection. Figures that have not been made, figures that we want to see get made. And it'll be a little fantasy segment there. Oh, I'm getting sick already. I hear Dino Bravo's music playing in the background. Oh, my God. You hear One Man Uh, Gang coming up? I hear the One Man Gang, too. (laughs) You hear uh, uh, Tracy Smothers? Oh, oh. The pain, the agita that I got to be put through. (laughs) Listen, that's going to be fun. It's going to be a good one. Another new segment after the missing link is the collector's corner, which is going to be, I think, really cool. You know, it's a listener participation segment. We're going to get different collectors, wrestling figure collectors from all walks of life onto the show. Primarily wrestling figure collectors that have a really fun collection to discuss their collection, what their favorite pieces are in their collection, and you know how they all pretty much got started there. So that's going to be fun. It's a little different for the show. And to round it out, we will still be doing the main event, but it will be a watch along edition. So me and you will will be calling the play by play, little profanity, little craziness some fun matches to go over a little uh, reminisce a little nostalgia and uh, yeah man the show on steroids pretty much steroids steroids baby and we're really going back to the 1990s now (laughs) that's what I mean we're we're, we're talking about steroids that's how the that's where we're going to be at oh my god I love it and you know what ladies and gentlemen the main event's going to be really fun this is one of these segments that we've had a fun with it already Doing a watch along, though, is going to be great because you're going to get to hear how good of a play-by-play guy I am. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, I'm just like, I could be literally the next Bobby. Oh, wait a minute. You know, I, 
<laughs> I know he's on color, but I don't I could be Gorilla Monsoon. You probably well. can, because I, I never liked Gorilla, so I'll just put that out there. Spinning toll to the body slam, oh. power slam, oh, big the head. Oh boy. Oh shit. Well, now you guys know I'm just being facetious. <laughs> <laughs> I just put that big Keith Lee kind of lingo into the pie, baby. Oh, bask in his glory. So, Joe, yeah, this is going to be a stacked lineup. Get ready. I'm pumped. We're pumped. You're going to be super pumped. So, yeah, super excited. But for now, Joe, we're going to head over to myself, Will the Thrill, and Mr. Sean NG, KWK Collector, and this week's edition of the Gorilla Position. I can feel electricity in the air. And welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of the Gorilla Position. And we have a return guest to the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast on the Gorilla Position this week. We are going to be sitting down with Sean NG. You can find Sean NG on Instagram at KWK underscore Sean. And you can also find him on his Facebook page. What's that, Sean? KWK Kayfabe Wrestling Collector on Facebook. So he's got a great Facebook page. And we have Sean here today to discuss our position on prototypes. And he is one of the, I like to call him always, Sifus of this specific wrestling figure topic prototypes because he has pretty much one of the largest prototype collections in the wrestling figure collector community. So Sean, really quick, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast again. I know last episode No problem, man. Thanks. Yeah, the last episode we had you on, which was very early on the podcast, the recording sucked. That was my fault, so I want to personally apologize to you because that was an excellent episode and I felt so bad to our listeners and to you that it wasn't at the quality that we want here at the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. So thank you again for coming on. I'm glad to be here, man. Awesome. So we're going to dive right into it. Now, this is an area of wrestling figure collecting that I don't know much about. We hear a lot about it in the community through the design process prototypes. How do I get into it? I have actually a sample, a Jax Ruthless Aggression sample that I acquired from you, a Joey Styles 1 of 500 sample. That is just one of the pieces I have in my personal collection that you can consider part of this design process, part of this very larger, broader prototype wrestling figure collecting area. So, Sean, I wanted to talk to you first, you know. If you're getting into these prototypes, like I am, like some other collectors are, or, you know, maybe you're not in it right now, and you're just kind of testing the waters, getting the feel of, ah, how do I get in it? Where do I start? Where do I get begin? Maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of a perspective of what this collecting encompasses and how you get in it, maybe where you should start, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, if you really want to talk about where to start it, you know, the easiest place to go to is eBay, like straight up. You see it, and and I check it every single day as well, just to see what's available out there. There are usually about 100 
prototypes out there on eBay on a regular basis. Before, like if you're talking about like 10 years ago, there would be more. Of course, the biggest market right now for prototypes would be the more vintage stuff. You talk about the LJNs, you're talking about the the Hasbros. Those are the top money grabbers right now. I see. And you talked a little bit about the history of it and the vintage nature and the demand for vintage prototypes. As far as your experience in collecting them, when did this craze really begin? I mean, did people collect prototypes in the 90s? I mean, was this a big thing? I know you mentioned that in eBay in the past, you could find loads of right. them on there. When do you think in the wrestling figure communities, this prototype craze and demand began historically? Well, the actual prototype phase really began, I think it would have been around the Jack's days, but Jax wasn't hot as far as prototypes concerned. Not even now, you know, some stuff are, but not all of them. Unlike Hasbro. Like Hasbro was where it really got hot. I believe it was in the late 90s to the early 2000s. Hasbro prototypes, especially the two ups, was starting getting hot then. At the time, it was around like $500 each. Like you could literally find them on eBay for about $500 each. That's how much they were. And, you know, LJNs were a little bit harder to find in comparison to now. Like, I guess it's because we got Facebook, we got all these social media, so, you know, it's easy to connect with everybody. But before, the only place you could really check through was pretty much eBay. You know, there were a whole bunch of them listed on there, and I still kicked myself for not picking any of them up when I had the chance to, because they were just that hot. That's a great historical price reference, too, because when we get into this a little bit later, we'll talk about pricing and what kind of average prices are for things like three-ups, two-ups, one-ups in the Hasbro line, etc. I can't believe they were that low, like you said, about 20 years ago. So that's pretty amazing. Let me ask you this, as far as the avenues during that time and to this day, we know that collectors have acquired some of this stuff, but really, where is the origin historically? Is it just based in China or does it vary? Because to my knowledge, a lot of this stuff was manufactured in China, but you did have manufacturing also in the US on some of this earlier stuff. Well, see, here's the thing, you've got to separate the two. Because the first thing is the sculpts. The sculpts were done in the U.S. So pretty much majority of the sculpts that were sold were mostly in the U.S. Now, once you go to manufacturing, you talk about the production samples and you talk about the test shots. Now those are the ones that were found in China. So it's a mixture between both, if you get what I mean. Like, you know, I have bought sculpts from sculptors directly. And again, you'll have to find the right ones because, you know, you don't know what a certain sculptor has. But mostly you will have to go to eBay to find out. Not only that, you know, the test shots and production samples were pretty much found in China mostly, as as far as I know anyway. And that's great information because I don't think people understand that, you know, that The majority of the design process is done here in the States, whether that be hand sketches, whether that be now digital renderings. And now 
all these sculpts are being created here by hand in hand. And then once they're created, all that design is sent to China. And then they start this manufacturing process, as you said. They have to start the molds first. So, you know, in order to build the molds, you need the sculpts. Not only that, you know, a lot of the prototypes, especially the painted ones, the painted prototypes were usually done for photo ops or places like toy fairs and whatnot. Those are usually the places that you'll see prototypes. Are there anyone that, that ended up selling them? Gotcha. And that kind of leads into our design process and what we want to do for you today, listeners. I absolutely love prototypes. That's my position. I think they're great. I think there's a huge collector market for them. But where do you begin? So what we're going to do for you all is we're going to actually compare two past wrestling figure lines. We picked the Hasbro WWF line and the Jax RA slash Classic Superstar line. We're going to start with the Hasbro line because obviously over the years, the process, the design process, as far as sketches, renderings to actual sample pieces have changed a lot. So we're going to walk you through a little bit of this. And Sean is an expert, obviously, like I say, I like to call him the Sifu of wrestling figure collecting, especially in these areas. (laughs) And he knows a lot about this. So, Sean, explain a little bit about from the Hasbro end. We talked about how in Rhode Island, you have these designers like Ron Rudat. He's in Rhode Island. He's sketching this stuff out. They have sculptors there at headquarters. They're sculpting the heads. They're sculpting the bodies. And then what happens after that? Now, as far as I know, okay, I can't be wrong because, you know, there are guys that are more knowledgeable for Hasbro than I am. So you talk about guys like Mark Reynolds and a couple of the other guys, they are far more of an expert in comparison to me. But as far as I know, they started with the two-up process, which is basically double the size of the actual figure that was going to be released. They sculpted with a double size of that first. And then... Some of them are wax, some of them are resin. Even that later on for, I'm not too entirely sure with Hasbro. I think what's gonna, what happens then is that, you know, they will have a hard copy process, which means, you know, they use that particular mold and then build maybe two extra ones of the sculpts. Then that's what they call the hard copy prototype. There's a mask prototype and there's a hard copy prototype. Just so you guys know, the hard copies is the direct copy of the master prototype. So there's a two. It's two, but usually both of them are resin, and there are some wax ones as well. Once it's built up, they will shrink it down into a one-up scale. So you know it will pretty much you talk about the same size as what you will get at the store as far as figures concerned. After that, they may use it for photo ops, they may use it for toy fairs, they may send the unpainted ones or the painted ones to the factory to start the actual factory molding process. So the actual mold of the figures of how they're going to be made, and then they go through with the production process. Got you. I have a couple of questions. And again, I don't know if you can answer them, but to clarify right. this a little bit, you have the two up. So again, larger, double the size of a regular Hasbro figure. We've seen a lot of photos. 
They are usually then in a, in a wax or resin type material. They can be painted or unpainted. Is that correct? Right. Okay. And then let me ask you this. So once you have this two-up in hand, do right. they then offer of that two-up? Do a hand sculpt of the one-up phase too, or is that two-up sent to China, or how does that work? That's a process that I do not know. Gotcha. I, I can tell you this right now. That's a that's something that I do not know. I have seen one-ups that came back out from China before, so perhaps a one-up was sent to a factory in China to make the molds, or. It was because that they shrunk it down into one-ups in China. Gotcha. So there could have been a time where some of that work was being done overseas as well. Right. Because the BCA line, I I had a huge lot of BCA hard copies back in the early 2000s. And they were lost when I was shipping them back to Hong Kong. It was actually shipped from Hong Kong, believe it or not. And yeah, they were shipped to the U.S., and then when I was going back to Hong Kong, they were being shipped back to Hong Kong, but got lost. Uh, there were, I think it was like 18 of them. But these ones were actually in Hong Kong before. So you know what I mean? It's like they were in Hong Kong, but the USI has them as well. It's hmm. not like the USI don't have them. Perhaps they were sent to Hong Kong and through Hong Kong maybe was supposed to be going to a factory or whatever. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of this, again, is still unknown. To me, it's this. It all depends on the company. Yep. It all depends on the toy company. So I cannot give a specific answer to that one. Exactly. Exactly. Going back to Hasbro. So then now you have the molds created, and then they go into manufacturing. We see these Hasbros that have different colors and everything, but they're usually right. all hard plastic, and those are test right. shots, correct? Right. There are two types of test shots. One type of test shot are used with different types of plastics, and usually they are cheaper quality of plastics as well. And those are called first shots. Those are the initial ones that were in the production line because, you know, they use different types of plastics to test it. Usually, from what I know, towards the end of the process, there are the ones with the generic colors of how the figures are supposed to look. Those ones are more of a later shots still test shots just not first shots and most collectors tend to be more jumpy towards first shots than anything else gotcha so this is an interesting process so basically you're saying they're testing to see whether the molds are right whether the detail in the molding is right whether the right. plastic they want to use is right etc cetera, etc cetera. that's why you have this test shot phase right 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 Okay, excellent. I can say this. Usually, there are not as many first shots as people think. I think especially with something like Hasbro, you'll be lucky to, to even get five of the same wrestler's test shots or even less. And that's five first shots or test shots? Sorry. First shots. First shots. First shots. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And then as far as the two-up phase is concerned the two ups what you think one or two are produced right of each character you're saying or, or three at most three at most three at most very limited quantities of this obviously right pretty much all given back to the design team to make sure that this is being manufactured properly correct right gotcha okay so this is all qaqc at this point 
They're running these things through. They're making sure the detail looks right. So when they put paint on it, it's going to look good. They're making sure that the, you know, even if you look at like the rockers or something, that the boot details right or the nasty boys, like the shirt details right. And then once they're done with this test shot phase, what happens after that? Well, they have the actual hand-painted figure, what we call the paint masters. That's the old days, though. Uh, I think even even towards Jack's days, they had that as well, which the figures were hand-painted just to see how it looks. Then they also have the production sample phase, which, you know, again, after the paint mask process, because before it weren't done digitally like some of the later stuff now. Before would be more like hand-painted first, so the paint master, and then you would have the ones that were actually printed on with the, or, or you know, the uh, the factory would paint them on. So very different, either hand-painted first, and then going through the entire paint apps to go on the figure. So, you know, paint master first, and then production sample after. Because the thing is, is that with Hasbro and the Jacks line, especially with the RA line, line was more between the old and the new. So for me to really try to explain it very carefully and not try to make any mistakes is pretty hard. So as we move into the Jax area, you're really having a lot of overlap with subtle differences in the design process and in manufacturing right. process. So with Hasbro, you have that paint master area. And to this day, I know, for example, Super 7 we just had TJ Shevlin on of Super Sevlin, and he discussed their right. design process, and they still do hand-painted paint masters on their Ultimates line. You know, you still have some of the companies doing that process to this day. That's why I said a lot of time with different companies, it's very hard to explain because this company of what it does, it may be different to another company of what they do. Of course. But, you know, the overall general prototype process is pretty much the same mostly. Until now, anyway, the more modern lines, you know, so say, for example, the Jax lines later on, you know, the heads were scanned. So, you know, I have hardly seen any two-up heads that were done with the real scan. Perhaps they have. I just haven't seen them. And the bodies for, for the Jacks, I wasn't even sure towards the end of the line were they digitized or were they actually hand sculpted. Because, you know, with the BCA line, they were hand sculpted. And I know for the beginning of the Titan Tron line, they were also hand sculpted as well. But I don't know if they were later on when real scans started to come out. Did they just turn everything into into digital or they still have people hand sculpted them? It's a really blur sort of time for me. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And going back to Hasbro really quick, we're, before we really get into Jax, we'll kind of end it here. Right. I just wanted to let our listeners know that production samples mean, and I have actually a Jax production sample. It's the final packaging. It's the final figure. It's on the card, in the box. And then what happens is it goes through a review process. And if there's anything right. that needs to be changed, they have a little ticket on it and they write in what needs to be changed before they start retail manufacturing, correct? Right. That's what happens with the Jack stuff. And mind you, those production samples, and I've said so many times because, you know, it came right from Jeremy Paddle's mouth from one of the toy fairs back in the day when he was in Jack's 
in regards to the one of 20 Sergeant Slaughter, he did mention that there were approximately like 10 Sergeant Slaughters, one of 20 that were in one of 100 packaging. And those were the actual samples that were either going to fenders or being tested or whatever. And I happen to have one of them. Again, in the back, it has the the label stating it was from Jack Specific with the stamp and everything else. You've seen it. Yep. And for Hasbro's, this is called the, instead of having the sticker, they had the tags, right? So they had like these green right. tags, they have, they have right? They have various tags. Yeah, yeah, They yeah. have various tags. The European lines, they have the QC and also the engineering samples, all from Hasbro Far East Limited directly. For the U.S. cards, they always have the green tags. So there are actually three types of tags. Plus, before that, there's also what I have been calling it the pre-green tag, which the actual packaging may need to change. But that's before they could put the green tag on. They will have a white tag that is stapled on. I actually own a few of that. And people have been offering me a lot of money for them. Like I'm I'm talking about thousands for one. That's how rare these are. Yeah. And the listeners that follow you or maybe that don't follow you, I should say, is this part of that warehouse find that you recently found or is that completely different than than this? Okay. So I have to talk about that again. I was in another podcast, and at the time, I was being told that there were 200 of them. It turned out there were like 40-something of them, but it was still okay. And it got a lot of Hasbro collectors excited. And what it was was, Cinder was actually the factory that made the Hasbro toy lines. And I think it was a couple of years ago that the owner of the factory in China fled. And a lot of workers did not get paid. So what happened was one of the village that handled the workers or actually where the factory was located decided to take everything that were inside as collateral. So it was being sold in a government auction and a couple of sellers, well, who ended up selling those, bought the collateral. And one of the guys that actually bought the collateral sold these 43 Hasbros to me. And a lot of these had the QC tag and the engineering tag and the green tag and also the pre-green tag. So, you know, it was a find that people couldn't believe at first. Thought it was like, man, Sean's lying, man. You know, it shouldn't be like this. And everybody started looking at it and thinking, man, these are legit. These are real. So... It caught a lot of attention. When you first showed them to me, look, I don't look twice. They looked real to me. I know you're legitimate. I know that you have connections there to find this sort of thing. So at first, I was very excited about it as well. I saw them. You shared a lot of pictures to me, and they looked legit to me. I had no question in my mind. So I'm happy that you did find that. I'm happy that you made it available to the collecting community as well so we could preserve these things because that's what we're here to do as collectors. We want to preserve this stuff. I'm I'm telling you right now, I'm still hunting for Hasbro in China. Yeah, they're there. Like They're there, Sean. I know. I mean, look, I I know they're there. Yeah, Yeah, I know they're there. You know, just you finding this from somebody that bought the collateral from this specific village that the factory was located in, 
you know they're out there. You got to have hope. You just have to have time that you can communicate with some of these individuals and that they'll surface. And hopefully, instead of sitting in a village in China where they're not being taken care of properly, etc., they can go into collectors' hands and we can preserve this for the future generations. Because I think that's reason, extremely the important. Why? Here's the thing. The reason why I still believe there are still these in China is because of one particular green tag that I own that nobody thought that particular green tag exists, which was the SummerSlam promo bear hug Hulk Hogan. Because uh, I've talked to a couple of the other passport collectors that are really big on green tags and whatnot. None of them has ever seen a SummerSlam promo green tag ever, except for mine. And if that's the case, that means there's still that particular wave. I believe it was the, the wave two, which was the SummerSlam promo. If that's the case, there has to be still the SummerSlam promo green tag somewhere in China because, you know, nobody has it. Exactly. It would have surfaced already. So there has to be a warrior. There has to be a Duggan. There has to be those out there for, like you said, the way. There has to be an Andre. I want an Andre. Yeah. I want an Andre SummerSlam promo green tag. It's That will be huge. It's just difficult to find some of these SummerSlam promo retail releases at this point, especially from Series 2. You know, I had come across a couple of them just by chance, and the warrior that I have is all beat up. Ones on eBay are like in extremely high prices too. I believe actually there are two versions with the card. One of them is more like a hologram type of card, and another one is like a regular card, right? Then they also have a version where it was the SummerSlam promo, but the SummerSlam promo ended, and they put a generic WWF tag over the SummerSlam tag. So theoretically, wow. it's like once that promo ended, they had a lot of backstock and they were providing the retailers with these generic WWF tags. So then now right. you have even that situation where I don't know if you want to collect just the retagged SummerSlam series, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, or promo series. So it's pretty crazy. But getting back on topic, we're going to move on to Jack's, you know, where do you begin? Just in Hasbro, if you wanted to collect protos in those prototype style figures from Hasbro, you have two ups. You have the one up phase. You have paint master phase. Let me say this. I have not seen a one up before. I know someone has one ups, but there are not that many around as far as I know. Actually, there may be less one ups than two ups. Wow. Okay. So yeah. even limited amount of those, you have the test shots, you have the first shot you have the test shot and then you obviously have the samples in the various tags as we've discussed and the paint masters and the paint masters as well so just there there's a lot you can collect and you could be very focused or you can go all over the place moving on to the and, jacks and you can be broke <laughs> oh yeah you i mean you will be broke we'll talk about pricing a little later but I know for example some two ups are in $15,000 range $10,000 range they get up there, and yes, you will have to probably take out a mortgage loan on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Moving to Jack's Classic Superstars, like you said, we're not going to get too in-depth because the process is very similar, but there are some differences. So let's talk about right. the differences, and you mentioned the real scan technology. Maybe you could talk a little bit more right. about that. I think the real scan technology, it helped the toy companies to make things easier because it's gone digital instead of back in the day where you have this thing in your hand and you have to sculpt it and if it goes wrong and you know you're screwed right 
But, you know, if you're doing things digitally, then what you do is that, okay, you know what? I may have done a little bit something wrong here. Let's just erase that and just go back to before. And, you know, you don't have to redo the entire mold again. That's a good sign. But at the same time is that it takes away the fun from some of the collectors. It's a different deal. As far as I know, it's probably the head that was digitally sculpted. I'm not sure about the bodies, if they were digitally done, but I can be wrong. That's one particular part, but I can be sure that the heads were all scanned, either from pictures or from the actual person's face and whatnot. I don't recall there were any two-ups as far as the heads or, or the bodies or whatnot, with the classic line anyway. So from that point, if you have a digital rendering, they just create molds off of that digital rendering and then they go into the paint master phase or how does that work? Or just they go into a strict one-up from, phase or a test shot from phase? What, from what I know is that then they send digital stuff Again, back to factory for molding or whatnot. I believe that what they do is that they will then send whatever details from what they've done digitally directly to the factory, which I believe was Rutland at the time when they were making these figures. So, you know, again, the process is pretty much the same then. You have the hand-painted, you have the test shots, you have the production samples and the finished product, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. So yeah, so moving into more of a modern manufacturing process, most then of the these earlier stages are then done overseas. So you don't have right. that two up, maybe have a limited one up scenario, but most of the origin the of this is, is overseas. Right? Here's then. the thing. I have not seen any sculpts like since the BCA line that came out from the China side. I have not seen one at all. Gotcha. So, you know, and it's been quite a few years, you know, over 10 years now since the WWE, the classic line was around. Even before that, they had like almost eight years or should I say seven years of the Jack's RA slash CS line. There were absolutely zero sculpts that got out from the china side instead there were sculpts that came out from the u.s side so this tells me that the sculpts never went to the china side instead they were kept in the u.s side mostly we were talking about this prior to recording we've really only seen at least from the cs line to my knowledge that bret hart that's in pieces that it looks right to be sculpted that's pretty much one of the only ones i've seen on the U.S. side, and that's it, right? I mean, there's not a lot right. out there, to my knowledge. Right, there isn't. I do have to say, sometimes it takes away the fun for prototypes collecting, because there's just not much out there. The guys that have got into the game earlier has kept everything, like me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, if you're looking for, like, something that will make you jump as far as prototype is concerned, there are really not that many out there. Unless you find the find a particular collector that is willing to sell number one or a particular sculptor that owns them, that was willing to part with them. I was talking to a sculptor that was sculpting some WCW figures and he had a Goldberg and he had a Kevin Nash, but he wants so much money 
that to me, as far as I know about the toy biz market, I just couldn't believe how much he was asking. But he's the sculptor. He owns it. If he wants to sell it at that price, it's his call. Yeah. Given also the fact that now there is a community behind this, there is a huge collecting community, and you do have somewhat of... How can I put this? You do have some kind of a benchmark of where the pricing should be. Like you said, right. now it's known where a lot of the old employees that were doing this work can be like, okay, now I have a market, now I have a benchmark. This is what I want to charge for it because I know it will right. garner this on the secondary market. At this right. point, you would only probably recommend him to go on eBay if he was willing to sell it. Put it up there, you know, with a reserve and see where it goes. But that leads us into this, what we wanted to talk about. So Jack's RACS, again, more digital stuff going on. There's less actual hand sculpting done, so there's less in the marketplace. You can find a lot of production samples, as we've discussed. I myself own one. It's one of my prized pieces. Thank right. you so much, Sean, for obviously willing I to part with that. I just happen to have a double. Otherwise, I wouldn't sell you. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. You probably have triples in there somewhere. But anyway. No, actually, I only own two. Joey Styles, and you had the other one. That's amazing. And again, even for these samples, are we talking about the same numbers, about a handful or so? Here's the thing, okay? Some of these test samples were later given to vendors, to distribution companies, or employees. Now, some employees may have kept them, but there can be quite a few that got destroyed in the process. So a lot of these, there are really not many of these around. Like the seller that was selling me these samples, for example, the one of 100. I know the Undertaker, the one of 100 go in the dark. I think there are three out there as far as I know, and I own two of them. They didn't pop up until like four years ago. So can you imagine? And not only that, the seller later on, thought they were taking up too much space. So, you know, some of the stuff that he didn't sell, he decided to rip out the packages. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Rip them out of packages straight up. I managed to save a couple of them, but really, like, he must have ripped out, like, at least 600 packages. Oh, I'm getting sick thinking about it here, Sean. I mean, we have a saying on this podcast. I'm telling you, I was really annoyed when I heard this. But, you know, what can I say? I wasn't going to take all 600 of them and put them in my collection room. That would be crazy. I know. It's tough. It goes into storage and you're paying for storage and all this stuff. And I'm actually getting sick over here. People know on this podcast, we're hashtag MOC, hashtag MOC for life. We're men on card collectors here primarily. And to hear that, uh, it just, uh, I would have helped. And one thing as well. Yeah, yeah. That a lot of times... These sellers who ended up receiving these samples, especially in China, they don't know how to take care of the packages. So a lot of times with these packages, they came out a bit beat up. Yeah. And several times, and you know this, I told you this before. And a lot of times I just have to eat up because it's a sample. You're not going to find many of these. 
So even though the boxes were a little bit messed up, the card may be a little bit bent, you just have to suck it up. Agreed. Like with my Joey Styles, I just have to suck it up. I like super, super pristine stuff. But in this scenario, right. you have to realize this is a sample piece. It's being handled by a lot of people. That's what it's used for. It's being shipped here. It's being shipped there. People are writing on it. There is going to be a lot of wear and tear to these items. And I think that's actually good for our listeners to know when you find these things, they're not going to be most of the time in pristine condition. It's something that you just have to get past. Now, do we want you to rip these open and stuff? No, please don't. <laughs> and, and if you're going to rip them open, let us know and we'll buy it all from you. <laughs> if you don't have the space. That's another thing I wanted to get into, Sean. We're talking a little bit about the condition these may be in and such, but how do you acquire some of this stuff? I know you can go to eBay and whatnot, and that's a big recommendation, but how do you acquire it? And not only how do you acquire it, but how do you know that it's authentic, that it's the real deal? Can you give our listeners any advice in those two areas? For Hasbro's, a lot of times, you will really have to understand what they are. I mean, I have seen people forging green tags now, literally printing like a green tag that looks like the legit stuff. But at least the seller was honest, saying it was customs. So you have to be extremely careful on who you buy it from. Number one, who you buy it from, do you know the actual seller? That will be the first thing that I will suggest to people. And another thing is that, is it from a reliable source? Now, in the game of collecting Hasbro prototypes or whatever, you know, there is a big community in Germany. And there's a big community overall in Europe, perhaps even bigger than the US as far as I see right now you know there are different guys that you can go to for suggestions they can really look it through for you or you can look for graded stuff so you know the afa graded and whatnot those ones if they are graded they are definitely authentic because they will have to go through a boatload of processes to make sure it is legit it's something that you guys can look at as well i think graded rare items or highly pieces collectibles, I think eventually it's going to be a way for some of the collectors to really go for. Sellers sometimes may get annoyed to try to explain themselves so much, but with graded stuff, you don't have to because it's there. Guys have already checked it. Yes, it is legit done. So, you know, something that is widely different to say, for example, 10 years ago or, or even 20 years ago. Okay, because there's a lot of people in the community that are against grading or not entirely opposed to it, but are not a big fan of it because I think the general argument to that is that the graders may not even know that it's authentic. I find very hard to believe, but you're saying pretty much the majority of the time, if you get a graded piece it's going to be legitimate, correct? I mean, it's... Right, I do agree with that. Okay, yeah, because I found that grading has been undervalued in our wrestling figure community. I feel that there should be more of it because it does provide you with that protection and that authenticity. And not only that, given the fact that even if you have like my my Joey Styles where the cards beat up, it would definitely not be a high grade. But to know that I have something that's even graded out of 50, right? That's a limited mm -hmm. piece. I at least have one that can say that it's authentic. It's graded. 
this is what it is. I'm not fooling around. Like, with say, it. say for example, okay, the other day I was helping a collector. I'm not going to name names. The other day I was helping a collector to pick up a few Jack's Rocky samples because there weren't too many of those around either. It was spread it out through like three, four collectors, and I managed to pick them up for him. I believe I picked up six of them for him, and you know. He wanted me to send them directly to graders in the UK, like right okay. away. Yep, yep. So for for him, it's that, you know, getting graded will make him feel better to ensure that they are authentic. I believe it's going to be a pattern like that eventually, especially for more of a high-end sort of collectors. I've realized that in the wrestling figure community, there are different levels of collectors now. And... The more higher end collectors are starting to going after getting their stuff graded. Got you. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the thing. I want to get my stuff graded, but at the same time, number one, I'm lazy. Number two, for me to send out my collection over, I'm just worried, especially with my resin stuff, that they are pretty fragile. So I don't want them to get damaged. That's also one reason why I haven't sent some of my stuff to get graded. Otherwise, you know, my entire collection, I probably will send them to grader right now, especially with my with my jack samples and a lot of my test shots. Yeah. Well, I mean, grading is another, it's a whole other beast, right? I mean, it's a monetary commitment, right? So you have to have the money to right. do it. You also, in your situation, don't have, I believe, a grading authority in China, so you'd have to ship it right. overseas. You got to go through customs. You have not only to worry about the risk of it being damaged, but it could also be lost, like you were talking about your BCA stuff, you know? So, I mean, oh, God, yeah. that's a huge risk. That's understanding. I feel the same way even myself. I want to ship some stuff down to CAS in Florida collector archive services but a lot of the pieces including my ultimate warrior one of 20 which is in pristine condition i just don't want to take the risk of god forbid that gets lost or you know whatever even right. though i have the insurance on it that's a piece that i'm never gonna have again you know that's something i personally sourced from warrior himself so i find it difficult even in that scenario where i'd probably go to florida myself on a plane with the figure, bring it down to them and pick it up that way as well. You know, so I think that's where, you know, in certain pieces that are sentimental and very rare, I would do. But getting back to the protos, that is definitely a way, listeners, that you can ensure that the figure or prototypes that you're sourcing are authentic is to find created ones as well. And again, right. go to eBay. There are a ton of different Facebook communities that you can go to that specialize in prototypes and prototype collecting. And I think that's basically our recommendation for that. Right, Sean? Not only that, you can always, you know, here's the thing, okay? Never be too scared to ask a lot of questions. If it's legit, okay? If it's legit, the seller wouldn't mind telling you what it is and will explain very carefully. Now, that being said, of course, I've seen sellers that don't know what they had. So just be careful. I mean, here's one funny story that I had. And it was one of the sellers that have been selling the Galoop 14-inch Ric Flair prototype. For a long time, I saw it for like over a year. And nobody picked it up. 
And you know what was the reason? Nope. What was the reason? The reason was that in the listing, he said it may be a prototype. He wasn't sure. Wow. And in that case, you just got to take the chance, right? If Especially if it's a good price. And- well, here's the thing. He was selling it at less than $400. I believe it was 360 So it's a huge bargain. For me, I had the Galoop Ric Flair, the actual final product myself. So when I looked at it and I said to myself, this has to be it because I've seen promo photos, right? I've seen the promo photos from the back of the packaging and stuff back in the day. And I remember this is exactly how it looks. So right away... I just put a bid on it. Nobody bid on that. And to this day, I think people are stupid for not bidding on that because they had too much doubt that it may be fake. Trust yourself sometimes. You know, you got to go bold. And luckily for me, I picked it up right away. $380 shipped because it was free shipping as well. And then I I later on bought another one from legend Rod Roman, who probably was the first guy who was collecting prototypes online, like Medibat. If you know who he is, then you are as old as me in in terms of collecting. He started going online back in 1998. Mm -hmm. I came a little bit later than he did. So with him, he also owned a Ric Flair. And I bought the other Flair from him, so I ended up owning two. Now, once I got both of them, and I compared them. They were the same. They were exactly the same. Wow. So basically, you tell you tell me, like, how could a seller be so stupid and go ahead and say, oh, this may be a prototype. I don't know. And screw yourself over for over a year for not selling it. Yeah. If, if he just straight up said, this is a hard copy prototype. It's made of resin. Okay. There are parts that needs to be glued together. Because otherwise it will fall apart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's all. He, that's all he had to say. And you know he he could say, oh, the parts and the color are hand painted. The deck coats were stickers. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he did not say that in the description. He deliberately said it may be a prototype. I don't know. That's tough. Well, it's good advice. It's really good advice for our listeners because. Again, like you said, sometimes you got to just take the chance on this stuff. You got to trust your instinct. You may even have to talk to some of these experts, like you said. You talk to an expert like yourself, reach out to some community members, see what they think about this sort of thing, and then you absolutely know that you're getting something special. And really, if it's not a lot of money, just trust your instinct. I think that's the most important thing. You can also source photos of prior prototypes, etc., and if you think that you have a, a real good deal going, go out, take the deal and take that risk. And maybe you have hit the jackpot then. Moving on, though, from this, before we end this, Sean, talk about you a little bit. You have a massive prototype collection from yeah. test shots to two ups to samples so talk a little bit about how you focus on this stuff. Do you just buy it all? Do you have things that you really like? Maybe you're, you know, you can let our listeners know what your top five are. And what is your approach to prototype collecting? My approach now to prototype collecting, uh, I mean, you know, to me, if I see something that I really like and the price is right for me, 
then I'll, I'll try to work a deal. But if it's over the price that I believe it should be, I won't touch it. That's just me. I have missed out quite a few stuff because of that before, because, you know, I wasn't willing to pay a certain price and other people end up buying them. So, you know, it has happened. But with that being said, you know, I have five particular pieces that I really, really like. And my top one, and I got to thank Mark Bushi for that one because he sold me that. He actually sold it to a friend of mine in China. And my friend in China needed money. So he ended up selling it to me. And that's the unreleased Unmatched Fury Kane. That piece is my number one item to this day because it's so beautiful mark actually asked me if i ever wanted to sell it back to him i said no because it's just as nice i also have you know like i said the 14 inch galoop rick flare that is another one of my price pieces i love that rick flare so much i know someone has the lex luger and i'm gonna use this podcast and say this whoever has the lex luger and if you ever want to sell just hit me up because I want it, okay? So we can go side by side with the flare. It'll be beautiful. But anyway, so that's number two. My number three will definitely be an interesting one because it's two of them. And some people don't like how they look, but they are unreleased. So, you know, that's one reason why I like them as well. It's the Toys R Us Model Kit Series 2 that were unreleased, the New Age Outlaws. So you talk about Blee Gun and you're talking about Rodok. Both of them together didn't even have to stand because it wasn't even made. That's my number three. Really quickly, Sean, we discussed yeah. those model kits that were actually produced by Toys R Us and distributed by them, their subsidiary, in a previous episode of You'll Never Forget the Name. And we absolutely love right. the model kit X-Pac that was actually released, produced and released right. mass retail. And I agree with you, the Billy Gun and Road Dog unreleased versions of the model kits were phenomenal. I, we shared those photos on our Instagram page at SQD Circle AFP. So go check the photos out there. Those are of the two unreleased figures or model kit style figures uh, that Sean had. And it's just an incredible line that X-Pac those two unreleased ones. I love them. That's a great obscure kind of piece to have. And number four is a two-up Macho Man Toy Biz prototype. The beautiful thing about that, I actually, you, you guys can find it uh, on my Instagram or my Facebook page as well. It's totally unpainted. It's cold cast resin. So the entire thing is like just still. And it doesn't move because it was before the chopping up process. So the entire thing was like an entire full statue, 12 inch, absolutely beautiful piece. I absolutely love it. One of my favorite Macho Man items there. The last one is actually another Toy Biz item, but it's unreleased. And I have two, which is the unreleased Rhino and the unreleased Christian from the supposed TNA 12 inch line that was never released. In fact, I still have two rhinos, but one of the rhinos missing a shoulder piece. I had two Christians. One of them, I sold them to a friend of mine. Shared the wealth, right? So 
those are my top five pieces, more like top seven, but still top five. Yeah, those are some incredible pieces. Absolutely love, again, the model kits. I think that Ric Flair is amazing. The cane is just a prized possession. I would have that on my top five if it, it was in my collection as well. So just some incredible pieces. And just to our listeners, if you want to see photos of any of these prototypes, please follow Sean on Instagram at KWK underscore Sean, S-H-A-W-N, not E-A-N. That's, again, at KWK underscore Sean. I'm not Irish. Sean. I'm sorry. No, you're <laughs> S-H-A-W-N. Sean is amazing. He has an amazing Instagram page. We like to reshare, retweet his photos whenever he posts. He's also on Facebook. KWK Kayfabe Wrestling Collector. There you go. Sorry, Sean. I always forget that Facebook site because I'm never on Facebook. <laughs> I'm just it's a, too long, right? I know. Well, you know, it's fine. It's, I think it's perfect. Some people say our podcast name is too long, which it is. Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. Nonetheless, it gets the point across. So go follow Sean there. Be a part of his community. Be a part of this prototype community. And that's our position. That's my position, at least. I absolutely love these prototype figures. I think you can get into it in various ways. I think you can just collect two-ups. You can just collect one-ups. You can just collect samples. You can go across all different lines, all different years. And it's just fun. And the people are very friendly. And that's my position. And that's our position here at the Square Circle Action Figure Podcast. So don't forget to tune in to next week's edition of the Gorilla Position. And remember, the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast is the gold standard in wrestling figure collecting.